0: And we are live with our 49th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson, at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, at Seth Law, uh, Seth Law on, sorry, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter.
1: You're having problems problems with the introductions lately, Ken. Gosh, what's going on here? We still need some theme music or something else. Uh, welcome once again to Absolute AppSec. Uh, Ken and I are happy to have you. Uh, as you may or may not notice, we don't have a special guest today. That is by design. Uh, at times, Ken and I just want to talk about current ongoings and industry stuffs, I guess, right? Uh, apps. Uh, you know, application security related. Uh, The biggest thing that we wanted to start, kick off with is that both Ken and I will be at OWASP Global in Tel Aviv in May. Uh, We are giving our secure code review course once again. Uh, So we're excited to get over there and meet all of the OWASP people in, you know, in the Middle East or in Europe. It should be fun. Um, But, you know, watch for signups or anything like that if you're interested. We'll probably also be releasing some other content online around that on how to conduct secure code reviews and um, kind of cheat sheets. We've been developing kind of a cheat sheet series of different frameworks and languages and how how to approach them from a secure code perspective. Um, Yeah, other than that, I don't think there's a lot else that's on our plate uh, coming up for travel-wise outside of, you know, the normal podcast stuff. Ken, is there anything else? No, um,
0: local Sec in, in, in a month, which I need to, wow, I really need to book travel for that. Um, I did buy the ticket, so there's, that's something, but, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to bring the whole family out for Logo Sec, as a matter of fact, but, um, no, yeah, you're right. We've got Tel Aviv in May. I think you, we, you and I are pondering the idea of submitting training for DerbyCon, um i mean I'm obviously going?
1: we're not at rsa this week right otherwise we'd be reporting from sunny san francisco or you know from the vendor floor i guess in san francisco
0: oh my god no, yeah yeah well <laughs> we, no, I, we I, have I opinions think... about
1: rsa i'm pretty sure so all
0: right <laughs> look i get it um there is a uh There's a there's there's a business that's that that's the thing it's the business all right Uh, or there there are businesses um, to this industry and that's where it occurs Uh, is it somewhere you'll catch me No, not really but you know I get it
1: that that, that was that was very political there is business and that is where business occurs
0: (laughs) I don't know for the
1: description of RSA there (laughs)
0: okay well you know I you know I here's what I. Yes, well, so, for
1: so for one, I've
0: spoken yeah, so, so maybe
1: we're a little punchy today. It's been a long yeah, I'm definitely, above us,
0: so, dude, I'm, you know how Optics. I feel. I'm, I'm yeah. super salty today, so you're going to get some pretty raw shit from me. So um, anyways.
1: Uh, and marking well, the say that, was explicit, there we go. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now we don't have to worry about it. Um,
1: yeah. So, you know, I spoke
0: at RSA and that was a, that was a good, Oh, no, that was well, that. That was a uh, that was an experience, and uh, met some some folks there. And uh, but um, it's not me saying this. I did think it was interesting that uh, Jeremiah Grossman pointed out on Twitter that you can purchase keynotes at
1: RSA through sponsorships of like a quarter mil. Uh, yeah, that, you, that that's right, and that just came out recently, right? It was just listed on the RSA conference website. You're like one of those platinum or gold sponsors and they'll give you speaking slots and like premier speaking slots. Like they'll represent you as a keynote has nothing to do with the content has nothing to do with, I mean, obviously as an organization, you'd want to represent, put somebody up there that could speak well, but does feel a little snake oilish, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, for a quarter million, you can come on the podcast. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) Kidding. Um,
1: (laughs) Well uh, definitely I like I have a problem with that. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. No, I mean um I think it was interesting that you pointed that out. I think it was uh, Yeah, I don't know that um that we sh- i mean i think it's important that I, that people know that 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 that's that's what they're getting into when they go there is like there's there's that that aspect to it so i'm not trying to crap on the whole conference um or anything like that but it's you know you got to know what you're getting into you you have to know what you're going there for um yeah it's it, I mean, it is what it the, is
1: right like more, most security conferences like security research conferences that we go to right The guys that show up are in t-shirts. I mean, you think about AppSec California, right? Everybody's there in t-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. I mean, yes, there's a you know, there's they're all tech t-shirts, right? But it's very much a like technical conference. Even the speakers is pretty lax. You show up at RSA and everyone's got a blazer, and you know, it's it's definitely more of a salesperson business conference. Even though they do have the talks, and there is kind of the research side to it, it is more geared towards businesses that are picking out security products. That's, that's just what it is. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but yeah, it can be tiring for those of us that are on the technical side. I, I'm trying to be political apparently. So. <laughs>
0: hey, so, so, so all the money that's being spent on these products, are we getting more
1: secure? No. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, we're still in jobs, no, like, oh, okay, yes, like, probably we are like, there's t- definitely classes of vulnerabilities that some of those products fix. The interesting thing to do at RSA is to get one of those expo passes, and they hand them out like candy and just to go walk the floor, because they've got like their two or three rows, like startup rows, where the organizations or the companies that are there, you know, 95 percent of those are not there the next year or they've been acquired by somebody else bigger it's like it's very much a they splash their cash for that booth and then and then they see what happens right um so yeah, i know absolutely. i know that it, people can make business deals there but i like i don't know there it's where we get all the security uh you know hot words or whatever you want to call right like the yeah
0: yeah. The, the, um, the thing I'll say about that when, cause now that you mentioned the startup, the, 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 the startup set of booths, the, the, there was, there was, there were a few couple, there were a few companies, God, I can't speak. There were a few companies that had some pretty cool products, but one stuck out in my mind, stuck out my mind. Um, cause I didn't even know it was like a, a, it makes sense, but I didn't even know it was an emerging area, which was like, I think it was a pen here somewhere. It was like, uh, D drone, I think, which is uh, anti drone um, technology to to basically like, yeah, keep shoot down drones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of funny because after like that whole thing about using drones to deliver drugs to inside prison walls had um, come out after I had met uh, or you know been introduced to that company and like what they do. And I thought it was, um, anyways, I thought it was really interesting that they actually had this issue where like they, and it makes sense, right? You don't want drones getting into secure areas and potentially stealing. I I mean, stealing IP, uh, figuring out the lay of the, the land security wise, uh, security controls of a, of a physical building, things like that. Like it was cool
1: for that. So, yeah. I, I mean, you will find the diamonds in the rough there for sure. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, but neither of us are there. So <laughs> yeah, it is, it is definitely a once every few years thing for me. Um, that being said, besides San Francisco just happened. And it looks like there's not, uh, there was a bunch of awesome content that came out of that. Asta um, who's been on the contest con, uh, con- co- podcast. Apparently I can't talk today either. Um, it was one of the <laughs> heartaches and gibberish. <laughs> yeah, <today>. and gibberish. <laughs> Pretty soon we're going to start throwing in like Southern like accents and, you know, (laughs) other things, but uh, yeah. So Asta was on the podcast. Uh, They've been posting quite a bit. Like it looks like there were some really interesting talks. I know Jerry spoke. Um, Who else was there? I I can't remember. There was three or four different talks. So I'm excited to see some of the content that comes out of B-Side San Francisco. Uh, That's usually the day before the couple days before RSA. Um, they don't overlap too much with the RSA conferences that's going on, but there is definitely a place that you can go and technical content that you can get that, that would be more, more up our alley, I guess.
0: Yeah. There is a DNS uh, SSRF uh, rebinding uh, t- safeguard talk. I'm trying to find a way. I, I don't know. Like I apparently I've been tweeting a lot cause I can't see where I tweeted it, but I did that. You ever just retweet stuff cause you want to like,
1: Read it um, later. Yeah, yeah, yep, I do, I do, and then I have to go okay. back through and figure out. Wait, I, I I can't retweet Ken's memes too much, otherwise, or David Corsi's memes, otherwise, I it, it burns me. David does
0: have the most. Yeah, you're right. He does have the, uh, uh, the yeah the 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 dankest of memes. Uh, no, it was Clint Gilbert who tweeted uh, uh, saying it was a great talk by Dylan i ray a ray and christian uh at b sides sf on the impact of xss ssr or sorry xss c serve dns rebinding uh when targeting internal internal services um which i thought was given like the fact that we've talked about that quite a bit and like it's legitimately one of one of the one of the big issues we're facing now with like distributed architecture and um allowing users to make requests to different apps. Like, I don't know, I really want to see it. So um, hopefully yeah. it's streamed or accessible. So, yeah, right i a question around that, right,
1: like kind of AppSec community. I know we're going to go on into the OAuth stuff here shortly. Um, you know, as kind of GitHub, as you're approaching that DNS, you know, SSRF, uh, like vulnerability, right? What is, so like those of us that use Burp Collaborator, right, you know, DNS exfiltration comes across quite a bit or that DNS external service interaction, which is part of DNS, like SSRF. Um, What is, what is kind of the worst thing that you've seen happen with that internally at your work or even anywhere else? Like I, like SSRF is pretty easy because we can usually look up, you know, some sort of credentials off of AWS if they are there, that's a very understandable vulnerability. But when you get to the DNS portion I'm always like, okay, how do I represent this to people? Like, why should they care about it?
0: Uh, In terms of DNS, I'm not sure if I've seen that actually become something that's exploitable yet. Um, The one thing I did think was interesting was like, instead of supplying an IP or um, like a host name, in the way that you would expect and this is like there's blog posts about this um was using i think it was like a hex version of the ip and that bypassed our filters i mean obviously fixed now but that was pretty it's pretty rough because you think you're you think you're blocking all the the various um, schemas that people could use and then they throw something like that at you and and it bypasses your protections and it's clever and uh yeah but yeah, I mean I guess the, the the worst thing would be if you could um if you could convince the the SSF SSRF target to uh make requests uh, internally uh and you've blocked internal addresses um, and they did that because they poisoned the cache and it thinks like some website.com is actually pointing to one of your internal services. So that would that would be that would be damaging. Um I don't know how often that that happens. But, um, I know for like segment, when we had them on, that's certainly an issue. And I just think it's very interesting. Yeah. So
1: no, there, there was, there was actually something else that popped up recently. And one of the, uh, you know, um, one of the contracts that I've got that that I'm working with people on and we're talking about subdomain takeovers. Right. Um, and I know from a bug bounty perspective, you guys run into that. But I'm also interested on the flip side, right, with GitHub Pages, the way that that's actually set up. Um, like, they, we've got this whole concept of kind of dangling CNames. <sighs> uh, like oh, yeah. DNS guys, uh, put it to me. But, like, as a service that provides, like, a front end to, yeah, we like, uh, thousands and thousands of people, right, if not tens or hundreds of thousands, like, like, what What is your risk profile? Obviously, the risk is not to GitHub.com or GitHub at that point. It's to the, the people that are pointing at GitHub, and then they, like, delete the page or whatever it is. So you've got kind of this dangling issue that's out there. Is there anything that you guys do as a service to kind of help prevent that from happening? Or is that just a, oh hands off, if you do this, that's the danger of using a third-party service? Yeah,
0: I mean, one... Okay, so... That's a good question, and man, that is a that is it's
1: loaded. I is a, I realize that it's loaded, and I, you may not have a full answer on it. Oh, I have but, a full answer. Okay,
0: all right. Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's a, and it is loaded. Um, where to begin? So, uh, firstly, firstly, it definitely, it definitely happens where people have pointed their DNS server at us, and um, then removed like the whatever repo it was. Because the way it works for those that don't know is, if you set up a Pages site using a GitHub repo, you've got a C name, and you put that C name inside the uh, the repo. And if your DNS servers pointed at us, your um, your your C name declaration is going to to mean that you know Seth uh, redpoint.com or something like that is, you know, we're going to be able to resolve the two because your DNS server is saying, if you go to seth.redpoint.com, then you need to look at GitHub's DNS servers. And because you put your C name inside of our repo, like we do that resolution. Um, So cool. Like that's, that's great. Uh, One thing we, Explicitly call out in the documentation. The documentation is to not do star.github.com, for instance, right? Like don't do that. Or sorry, star.redpoint.com. So don't do like a a wildcard subdomain that says any DNS request to this goes to GitHub, because obviously then anyone can start claiming subdomains of your um, of your domain. So that's documented. We give people that advice. Now what you brought up is a good point and something that we're grappling with now, actually, uh, or we're thinking, of, I'm, I think we're thinking more about is, um, is it's a known, it's a known thing that if you do that pointing uh, you know, seth.redpoint.com at our servers and you, but then you remove the, the, that repo and that CNAME's up for grabs, someone else could potentially right, like claim it. And that's, you know, That's an issue, but, um, it, you know, we're pretty, I I feel like the way we've kind of mitigated that is we've been pretty explicit about, Hey, like, um, calling it out really in the documentation, but there is a, there, there are a few, this is the part that I really can't get into, uh, there, we know about it there's definitely some stuff we've been thinking about. Um, but I can't, I just can't go any further than that, but yeah, dangling subdomains is a pain. Like, um, yeah. Not, not, and I'm not saying that just for like us. I'm saying in general, like when you, when you allow people to point their DNS servers at you and then f- however you do it, allow those subdomains to be, um, or domains rather, domains, subdomains, whatever those TLDs to be pointed at, um, or uh, domains to be pointed at you, and then yeah, you might have that issue. So,
1: yeah. I like it. I mean, it, it, it's just kind of an interesting problem, right? Cause the, on on the one side, um, you know, helping these larger clients manage their presence, and they're pointing at you know, AWS, GitHub Pages, you know, uh, Azure, you know, all you know, GCP. They're pointing at all these different services for different domains. Have all of these different projects that are running, and then you know that group goes away, that project gets canceled, so they just delete it and they forget about the C name. Like that cleanup process is. I mean, it's difficult when you're managing thousands and thousands of domains. Right. Um, And that's where the like the bug bounty researchers, they come in and they're doing their subdomain brute forcing and all of a sudden they find an AWS instance that is dangling in that case. So, uh, you know, AWS is a little is more difficult because you can't just claim the domain. You've got to actually, you know, pull out that, you know, ELB address that gets randomly generated. If you can get that same one, then you can take it over. Um, whereas some of the other services, it's, it's quite easy because if the C name's already pointed, but no one else has claimed it, you can just go in and claim it. Um, so, I, like, it's this, yeah. I, I, like, the responsibility is definitely on the the client. Right? It's on the customer. But I just wondered from like your perspective, like what what else are you guys trying to do? Because I and I know from a, like a the the whole repository. Takeover stuff that we talked about previously, like this, the code repository, that can be an issue as well. And so, like, it kind of fits in that same vein, at least in my head, as far as, hey, if you're able to actually prevent something, then maybe you can go about it. Um, but obviously, if it's something like you, you you can't talk too deeply on, it'd be interesting to go, you know, further down that road when, when, if, and when something gets released. Right.
0: No. And I think this brings up another valid point, which is the difference between, I don't want this. I don't want this to sound like it's going to come off elitist or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't mean it to be arrogant. What I mean is it is the difference between an experienced, like really experienced, um, Blue Teamer and some of the, you know, security researchers out there. Like if you were to ask, I would bet if you were to ask uh, a decent percentage of security researchers who are within that, and I think somebody hosted a, posted a stat and, uh, about the the majority of bounty researchers being um, like with one to five years of experience and not, and and when I'm, and like successfully, like successful researchers, like one to, one to five years of experience, which makes sense. They're building up a rep, getting some experience, et cetera. And are they're, they're going after it. Um, I would bet if you were to ask them, that's like terrible, right? Oh my God. Yeah. You, you know, you're expecting the, the client to catch that. What if they, I mean, how is that possible? Like you should be doing, you should be I don't know. We'll say calling out to these C names and seeing you know what what's what's landing like a, a response and what's not, and then reclaiming those or sending a notification or something like basically saying the onus is on the the, the service provider. But when you get to the somebody with experience and and understands the business aspect plus the architect aspect, you start to get into this area where you're like, yeah, well, um, if we do certain things, then it's going to Create a negative experience for your users, and then, and then you have less users, or you, you know, you've, you've, um, you're going to get complaints either way, right? People upset that you're letting them shoot themselves in the foot, and people upset that you're not. It's so it's there's this a uh, lot of decisions that go into these types of things, and I, I just I think from a security perspective is like, oh, that's bad, you should fix that, and then it's like the reality hits in a... Okay, well, those conversations may not go the way that you think that they will. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I, I,
1: yeah. There's, I, I don't think there's a good, like, I wasn't expecting a full-on answer that this is what GitHub is doing to to prevent that. Because um, I, I do, I do see the onus on the on the clients in that case. Um, you you got to know what you're pushing and what what your domain infrastructure looks like. Um, your DNS records where they're pointing to I, I mean that that's kind of security 101 stuff um, but it it becomes hard and it is a problem um, the other thing that you know like we've been talking to to people about is the the fact that it's pretty easy as a an organization to know what's in your DNS records right um, so there's no reason why you you have to go out and run sublister or something like that to figure out what's on your own domains uh, you go do a zone transfer and you go and you check each of those domains. It's, that's a pretty easy script to write or to run uh, to actually see. Hey, is there any you know? Are there any dangling C names or anything like that that are out there? I, you know, I've been tossing around. Hey, maybe we should just go write something like that and, and post it up for you know defenses to actually run. Do a zone transfer, pull that data, run. It. Hey, it looks like this domain's pointing at AWS or GitHub or whatever dangerous you know place, and you probably need to to take a look at that. But, the funny
0: thing is when you say that my immediate thought is I bet Jerry Gamblin wrote something. Yeah.
1: He's, he's probably already got something like that. Um, you know, especially, you know, working on internal teams, that's, that's definitely something that you should be looking at. So um, let's see, Kevin did bring up one point on the DNS, uh, re- or the yeah, DNS SSRF or the DNS collaborator ping. Um, and, like he's saying that the the biggest benefit that he sees is that client user input is being fed somewhere down the app that leads to a DNS query. Um, And I, I I can definitely see that from a danger perspective Uh, the issue that the, the, so the biggest issue that I have with that is that burp labels that as high severity, right? It comes back as a high severity finding inside of burp. And from a risk perspective, I'm always like, okay, Yes, there is some exfiltration there, but this isn't like a real like proof of concept that I've actually extracted some data outside of the host header or whatever has been passed in and then a DNS lookup happened. So. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because you have to have. It's have kind of hard verbal. to quantify. Yeah,
0: right. It is. It's like, what? what's the value in getting that to call out to your app? Like that's really the important piece. Is it retrieving something? Is it? Um, sending some some data? Like, is it going to do like a, I don't know, some sort of almost like a webhook event where it sends off some stuff you're not supposed to see? Um, yeah. yeah, it's very context- contextual. That's the word I'm looking for.
1: Yeah, well, and that's, that's always what it ends up being in my reports is like, hey, it looks like this happened. If I can do something else with it, that's great, right? If I can figure out how to feed the DNS somehow and do an SSRF lookup and then like, export that back out, I'm golden. Uh, But most of the time, it's just like, oh, there was a DNS ping, and I know know where in AWS your systems sit, right? Or at least one of your systems. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so... Cool. So we've talked DNSRF, we've talked subdomain takeovers, and none of that was on our list. So none of, it. none
0: of it. That's the thing. We're 33 minutes in, and we haven't even gotten to like the little appsec minute we thought we might get it in, get into. Which I think we we can. But yeah, it's funny. This thing goes so quick every time. Yeah.
1: Um, so you wanted to talk OAuth, right? Let's let's jump into that. Let's do the appsec minute.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because we were uh, we were talking about how, uh, what to discuss is like a little brief. Real brief um, knowledge dump and I've been dealing with a, a lot around OAuth and um, I figured it was worth discussing briefly the OAuth relationship uh, and then how that flow kind of works and then why the state parameter is important. So um, just cause it's an AppSec-y thing and I've been looking at OAuth, OAuth specs a lot recently. So OAuth. Uh, so you're uh, like, I'm sure everyone's seen the sign in with GitHub, sign in with uh, uh, Facebook, whatever. So if you're doing single sign-on, there's usually two protocols you're gonna use, OAuth and SAML. With OAuth, the way it works is that there's an OAuth provider and an OAuth client. The app that has the button that says sign in with, that's the client. And then the provider would be Facebook or GitHub, right? So if I want to sign in to GitHub, I click a button, initiate a request, and um, and you know, off I go to the provider where I enter my credentials, and then there's an exchange that occurs. Um, part of that exchange is you get a code back and or you give a code, you get an access grant. There's an access token that's uh, given to you at the the end, and uh, you being the client, sorry. Uh, And that's how we say, like, this person's good. They initiated the request. They validated their credentials on the, like, they validated their identity on the provider. They've come back. We've done the the exchange to make sure that the the communication validating this person between the client and the provider is secure and everyone's happy. So note to touch on there is um, some, there's, I've seen some confusion around, like, what the state parameter is. Uh, in that request. And all the state parameter is, is something that says this person meant to make, meant to authorize this app to, we'll say Twitter or GitHub or Facebook, whatever. They meant to to initiate this request. They meant to authorize um, uh, this account to be linked, right? That's really all it is. Because, you know, you are probably going to give this uh, OAuth client a, well, you are going to give this OAuth client a, Token, which then can be used to access Facebook data about you, whatever, G- GitHub, whatever it is. Okay, so we need to make sure that you meant to do that. So that's what the state parameter is. It's not validated on the server side. It's echoed back by the server, but the client's actually the one that goes and says, okay, I provided this uh, this one-time use token that's uh, got high entropy. Um, I, you know provided it off to the server, the server, e- server echoed it back along with the other details that tells me this is the person who initiated this request and we're validating this transaction. And so the state parameter gets validated on the, the actual client side. Um, and then there's another piece to that, which is uh, validating. So that's like kind of like an anti c well, not kind of, I mean, it's an anti basically c surf protection, right? Um, which I don't know if we want to get into it cause this goes a little bit farther beyond the, the, the idea of a C of a OAuth, but, uh, C-Surf protection in general, um, there, there is a trend now to verify that, and it's a pretty good one that the, the origin or the refer actually, um, and I think, I don't know if we were you and I talking about this, like validating the origin of the refer header, um, seth to uh as an anti-sea surf uh, protection mechanism
1: no that wasn't with me i'm not sure who you're talking to on it
0: i forget who i was talking to i think we were oh yeah i'm not i i can't remember might have might have been someone else uh or definitely was somebody else um but yeah so like i think that there was there has in the past been a debate about like Using the, or, and let me back up real quick. Um, like, let's say you've, uh, you have your website like seth.com and in that website, you've got like a, uh, I don't know, some JavaScript that immediately sends the user who visits your site off to initiate this, like, for example, OAuth flow or whatever the case is, or, you know, transfer some money or whatever the case is. That uh, request... That's initiating from Seth.com will have a, uh, will have Seth.com in the origin or the refer header. Okay. And, this okay. is, yeah. it, and this is just because that's how the web works. That's how browsers work. Yeah. And even if you try to, like I've tried before to, 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 to craft Ajax requests with JavaScript where I like modify those headers, it doesn't, it's, that's outside the specs. It doesn't let you do that. So basically, like you wanna say, hey, is there a, a refer origin header? And if so, is it what I expected? Did it originate from mysite.com or did it originate from anything else like seth.com? And so people are using that more and more now when there's a case and there certainly are cases where, you know, for instance, if you have an app that you visit and you're not authenticated, well, how do you do a set? How do you do a, a nonce? I mean, who are you tying that to if you're not authenticated and that, yeah. that scenario certainly exists. So that's sort of where that came from, that, that refer and origin, um,
1: that's Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah. I, I mean, that was always the argument for CSERF is whether or not that could be depended upon for CSERF protections, right? Hey, you're doing a post. Is it, you know, does, is it tied to that HTTP refer header or to the origin header? Um, and, you know, if the protections, you know, back when CSERF protections came about, you could always rewrite that with some sort of an AJAX AJAX post, right? Or you may not be able to modify it, but at least you can add that header in as you wanted to, and maybe successfully, you know, bypass the those protections. Um, hence the reason that they came up with the you know the C tokens instead. So so it's interesting to me that OAuth is moving that direction, and and it may just be based on the you know the later clients. Now that's no longer something that Ajax is allowed to do.
0: Yeah, no, I mean,
1: uh, it, it's and, and
0: this is where the I think that's sort of where the the debates have occurred on its f- efficacy um, is you know expected behavior, past behavior, and current behavior. Um, but you you know it's it's definitely something that, uh, like I said, is I mean rather I, I would rather ha- obviously I'd rather have a nonce, I'd rather have a high entropy, super unique one time. Uh, use hell even tied to the path that you're making the request to if those don't match up boom you're you're 401, 403, whatever. And uh, that'd be great. That's fine. But there are just instances where, you know, what do you t-
1: how how you yeah, have how an how identity? Site? Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do you authenticate the site where that request is coming from? I, I mean, especially in the case of GitHub or Facebook or, you know, any of the the large identity providers. Like, I, I just feel like there's so many options there. It's probably not something that they could, they could pull from, right? They're going to have to identify on something else or they just allow everyone and it, it's up to you. Again, you're pushing the security to the client, right? But it's up to the client to recognize whether or not that's a place they actually want to go and authenticate and send those credentials to or that information. So,
0: yeah, it's... Yeah, man, it's and it, I think I had sent out a tweet, I think, I don't know, in the last week or two, I sent out a tweet saying something like, uh, due to changing web standards, I'm sure I'll never be confident as an appsec professional. And <laughs> yeah. and I meant it because I'm like, things keep changing. And in fact, I'm I'm following just to keep up on things, I'm following a uh the web app sex CSP repo. I just watch it just so I can see the changes that are occurring. And that this is just for CSP, you know? And what and watching how things are changing like the 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 standards are what makes like the server side stuff such as insecure direct object reference or SQL injection um you know that's pretty pretty standard pretty pretty straightforward um you know things somewhat change and like i guess like no when no sql was uh became a thing like there was no sql injection but in reality like the standards that are changing are you know, in the web, really in like the web standards themselves. And I know we were we were going to talk about HTTP too. I don't even think we'll get to it today. But um you know, the, the web the web standards change how browser behavior works, or bugs that are introduced, and how that affects your your client side like headers that you provide for security or whatever like you're doing um, to to implement security. That stuff changes. And then, um, and then, um, you know, various, uh, protocols change like HTTP, you know, it's evolving. It's all. So yeah, like keeping up with it and like, what was a problem and a a protection, um, yesterday may not be, or vice versa, you know, the thing that happens today. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, AppSec is hard. I think that's what I'm trying to say. People AppSec is hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a moving target, right? That's the, that, that's the whole issue, right? I I mean, because you think back to the old days where like the, um, the, the site protections, like the site gates between like browsers, like allowing access from one site to another site. Um, a lot of our security protections are built into that. Right. But there was a time like back in the Netscape IE days when that didn't exist, it was very easy to actually call different sites and pull data back and actually view data from places that you should be able to get access to. Um, but a lot of our protections are built on that concept. Somebody screws that up in a major version of one of these browsers. And that's a huge, that that's a huge gaping flaw. And nobody like on our side, people probably wouldn't catch that for a while um, unless, you know, like Google and Firefox and everyone that's, that's running, that's building those, unless they're running their, their unit tests to make sure that that, that protection exists. We're very dependent on that. Right? We don't, we don't do a lot of like client side testing from that perspective. And it's,
0: and it's actually a super good segue into the the top 10 because the, 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 the number 10 item on that top, or sorry, when I say top 10 top 10 2018 web hacking techniques released by, or swigger um number the item number 10 is it's using very non-standard or a very non-traditional way of um a browser to uh to basically like monitor latency and uh so you, you can basically create a timing attack
1: Yeah. So. Well, yeah, let's jump into that then, right? Like, okay, so, uh, you know, we talked to OAuth. If you've got other questions on that, feel free to ping us either on Slack or on Twitter or whatever. Um, We're around. We can be found. Um, Otherwise, uh, Port Swigger this last week, um, and it was actually James Kettle, I think, that released it and did the blog post on it, um, released the top 10 web hacking techniques for 2019 or 2018. Uh, So they... They had all of their researchers and all the people they know submit like the different cool techniques and cool hacks that they saw in 2018 and pick the top 10. Um, We'll talk about a couple of them that are interesting to us uh, in the time that we have left today, uh, but we will post up the link if you haven't seen it yet. Go through and read it all. There's a whole bunch of interesting uh, new or different attack techniques that are built into that from a researcher perspective, from a defense perspective. You got to know about them. Okay. So we'll start with that number 10, right? The the timing attack. You want to step through kind of what that one was, Ken?
0: Yeah, and I'm trying to uh Okay, there. I put the I think I put the Yeah, I put the link on both channels, Slack and YouTube. Um Yeah, and for the record, if we get this wrong, it's cuz we 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 had limited time to uh we actually were like, well, screw it. We'll just tell people if we're going to give hot takes on a briefly read and understood material. But I mean, it's not, it's not the most complicated thing in the world, right? It is cool, but, um, and I've actually, we've gotten a report in that, that had a similar behavior before, um, which I thought was pretty cool. And the basic gist is that like, the example they show is creating, a, creating latency in a request. So I think it was a CSV, um, like it, it's a, the, the, the example they show is a link that generates CSV files. The more column, the more columns you add to that um, CSV generator, which you do by adding that in adding those columns via the the HTTP parameters. The more latency latency you're going to introduce because the longer it's going to take to um, generate that CSV. Now, the thing is because of the way that the origin policy works, which is you know. Seth.com can't, um, uh, you know, shouldn't be able to see the responses generated from, say, like if, if if you've initiated a request, you shouldn't see the response from Ken.com, right? So, however, uh, what they did, what they, they've called, I, th- I think that's why it says XS search or something, cross site search, uh, basically initiating your browser to make a request off to a site and then evaluating based off the cache that that com would have access to uh evaluating how long the load time was for that response to ken.com so if you basically set.com had me make a request off and i generated this large large csv file which took a long time to load you'd be able to inspect the cache to see if um uh, basically, if there was some latency, and if I butchered that, my apologies. But from my understanding, that's that's the basic gist is um, uh, being able yeah, to it's, it,
1: yeah, it's definitely kind of like a binary, like timing based attack against SSRF, right? <laughs> um, from from what I, what I'm reading, right? Like it's cross site search, so they're looking up whether or not bugs exist with specific paths and then using the CSV generator and that like internal cache, because if it is cached, um, that bug exists and it takes a long time for the CSV to load. Uh, and they know that there's a problem with that specific, right? like the specific path that they're searching for. Is that, is, is that how you're reading it?
0: Yeah, it's just to basically do some enumeration on whether a uh, resource exists, which would be, um, for instance, like if, uh, um, I don't know, uh, you had, uh, like pri- like a private, this does do not do this. Cause this is not, what, I don't care, but let's say on github.com, like you want to enumerate like an organization and a private repo name or something that would be kind of like, like if, if you're like, Oh, if I, if I could find a private repo name, or i don't know that's not really impactful but i'm i'm if i was more creative right now i could think of a, a a better like if you could enumerate that a location exists especially if there's missing function level access control where if you just know that that route exists like if if it was uh for example some like uh uh ford slash uh i don't know uh um some, some forward slash uh, like invite with some random value. And then you can just guess that that, that exists based off that. And then if you, if you could, if that did exist, then you could, could navigate to it, I guess. I, I don't know. It's a weird, it would be enumerating that something exists. And if missing function level access control came into play here where there was no authorization on that resource, it might behoove you to know that existed and navigate to it, I think. Yeah. And again, if I'm butchering that, well, my bad
1: no i like I definitely think that's the, uh, the that's the basic premise is that you're using that lookup function to actually determine what resources exist that you shouldn't have access to or you shouldn't even know you shouldn't even be able to enumerate uh, whether or not like that private like that private bug in this case that it exists, but being able to enumerate that could potentially, you know, lead to other attacks, just like you're saying the, you know, the access control issues or whatever else that could be there.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I think it's very interesting to, to use that, that, that latency to, to discover resources. Don't get me wrong. I think that's super useful or super cool. Sorry. Um,
1: And this is, I mean, and that actually hits on like the, like user enumeration and timing attacks. Those kind of vulnerabilities for uh, like most web applications, um, we don't we don't necessarily talk about that a lot on the appsec side of things. I know it pops up every once in a while. Uh, you see SQL injection using timing attacks all the time. If you run SQL Map or anything like that, they will it will use timing attacks to get data back out. Um, but from an enumeration perspective, we don't we don't really dive too deeply into that. And I, you know, I wonder if there's more research to be had on that side. You know, as far as, hey, guess what? We do know that these accounts ex- accounts exist, and it takes you know, 500 milliseconds to get like back a you know, password invalid or whatever error message versus the other one. I, like, I feel like there's more things that you could do with that because most most developers don't do any sort of timing games with it when it comes to responses. Because um, they usually don't think about it, and usually it's not a problem. Because if you've only got 500 users, that that timing is just so inconsequen- inconsequential. I still can't talk either. It's just gibberish. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's inconsequential in the in the case of a small application. But the second that you get to be a large application, it can it can turn into a full blown attack, and it may may be easier than people expect. Anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I'll tell you for, and by the way, I was thinking we'll probably just get to this next one, uh, number nine, and then we can, I'm thinking maybe, uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but maybe one through eight, we cover as the one each week as app minute, um, yeah. going forward until we've completed all of them.
1: Yeah, that works. Yep.
0: So for number nine, the one I, the, the, I don't really need to even look too deeply at this one. Cause I I've seen this before and I thought it and it's really like super cool. So, uh, the way, the, Number nine, let me read the title. Data exfiltration via formula injection. So like if you've ever had the displeasure of working on uh, spreadsheets such as myself, I know you've done a lot of spreadsheeting, uh, Seth. um, You know that you can create formulas um, to like calculate numbers. Like if I wanted to say rows one through five when they're totaled equal some number, maybe row number six would be the sum total. That's a formula, the sum total of, of those first five. Uh, rows cool that's a that's a basic formula those formulas can get super advanced and that's kind of the point here is that like let's say you were able to inject content into a csv that's being generated so let's say i am able to inject content that's going to be a csv you open right so let's say I'm able to inject a formula that then makes calls out from your machine to mine. When you open that um, Excel spreadsheet or I think it was in this case, Google spreadsheets or Libre library. I don't know how you say it, whatever it's I don't use open Office, So I don't know how to say it, but um, anyways. Yeah. So that's the, that's the basic gist is if a website's generating CSVs and I can Um, get you to download a CSV or get you to open up a a CSV with one of those programs that, that I've controlled the content of and I use a formula to make that call out and you download it and you execute it and it makes a call out from your machine. Cool. I've won as the attacker.
1: No, that's, yeah. I I mean, that's pretty clever. Like uh, abuse cases from within CSV generation. Oh, Ken, you're muted. Okay, yeah, you knew you were. Okay.
0: Sorry, yeah. I was I didn't want you to have to hear me sipping on uh Diet Mountain Dew. No,
1: nope, you're fine. Yeah, like like I'm looking through it now, right? That's I I don't know how many times I've actually seen CSV uploads cuz it's in a lot of applications. Um and you wonder how that's actually like what that's being opened into. Um, you know, most .NET applications are probably opening that straight into Excel. Um, I'm sure they disable macros in most cases, but those formulas uh, that are embedded into each of those cells, I don't know if they actually would, right? Right. Um, I I mean, I know the the payloads, like the Etsy password payload, that gets interesting, but most likely people aren't going to be opening that on, like OpenOffice, yes, like it's just, not as common as some of the others, right, but. Right, although if you, I will say this,
0: if you were to open it in Google Spreadsheets and like export it into a format for like, let's say Word or something or OpenOffice, like, cool. Yeah. Like, you're you're good, you, you've done it. <laughs> so, it, and that's the example they show for for context. What Seth just said was they show um, reading the contents of that, fo- that cat, I think, or uh, reading the contents of Etsy password and then uh, sending that content out to the attacker own server and seeing that in the request. Yep. Like it's literally a get request with the entire, as the path, the entire password file as the path part of that request to your
1: server. So you can see that in your logs. Sure, why not, right? Why not? Why I, not? It, you know, it really comes cool. down to, yeah, it is, it's, it's pretty clever, right? To actually send that along in that in that way. Um, I I mean, a lot of times we forget that all of these, like all this middleware that we use in between, like, we're building this application that all this functionality exists. Um, I mean, this is very similar to some sort of like local file include vulnerability, right? Um, you're basically including the file in that exfiltration and then you're sending it off to a third party somehow. Um, it's pretty, that, that one's pretty clever, right? Like I, I've seen that one before that I can test, right? Yeah. You've seen it before. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's not my
0: first time uh, seeing this before. Like it, I've seen, uh, I don't remember when, but I dealt with this a year or two ago. So it's definitely not new. Um, well, sorry, I, I that's, that sounds bad. I'm not saying like it's definitely novel and it's cool and it's awesome, but this is not the first time I've come across it. So when they, which is, I think maybe the point of the, the, the post, you know, of this post is that these are the, these are sort of the the things that are becoming cool, common. Um, they're novel, uh, so yeah. Like it's, but this is not my first rodeo with this particular vuln. Yeah,
1: that one's that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, like I'm I'm looking at those payloads. Like those are definitely going to be on my next. Like, hey, I found a file upload or er, file upload system, and it takes CSVs. Let's see if. Let's see what happens when we give it something that is formula based rather than just uh, cross site scripting based, right? Or SQL injection based. There's probably some more interesting things there that we can run through that are, yeah, that could be exposed. So sweet. No, that's a, yeah, that's definitely a good one. Um, The other top 10 that we've got in there that, like, so next week we'll talk about Prepare, the XXE, some of those others. I know that James—he's talking about that web cache poisoning again. That's number two. I think we—we've reviewed that in the past when James came out with that—the um, way to poison web ca- web caches. Um, All right. It yeah. yeah. Be, it, it probably would be good to talk through it again.
0: You know what? I'll send him an invite to come on the show. See if he wants to do it. I've met him uh, several times. Um, the last time I saw him was at the uh, Hacker One GitHub event. Uh, uh well H- hacker one did like five nights of different companies uh or some or different organizations we were one of them, and uh anyways um that was the last time I talked to him in person so i 'll send him a note and uh see if he wants to jump on the podcast so yeah, can talk through cool. some of the stuff so
1: yeah, the more that we could get yeah somebody that's an actual expert right that's good <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know the person that put that all this out blog
1: post and put it all out yeah, it'd be fun to talk with him about it right um let's see what else uh i think next week do we have um uh, i don't even have the list up in front of me
0: yeah sorry i'm trying to pull it up too so next week is uh eric from security compass um followed by jessica ryan the week after that from trusted sec I'm super excited because on April 2nd, um, my boss actually is coming on, which I've asked him to come on um, more, than, more than once. Uh, but it, we just, we kept like the timing was, it was just a timing thing. Um, but I wanted him to come on because he's been with GitHub for over five years and he's seen it grow from like the security. Well, the company and then the security team, he's grown and the initiatives have grown and I just think it's super helpful for those that are building um security programs to hear his his story and um I don't know that one I almost feel like is is probably gonna be like an hour and a half long episode it's gonna be yeah if I could I would make that a three-hour one and we just sit around but it's it's gonna be a good one um and then uh let's see the uh oh and we are talking now with um we we we've got we've got uh we talked to to Zoe from OWASP about women in appsec and their very initi- various initiatives so we're going to have um a group of of folks who are working on those initiatives join the podcast uh we're just figuring out dates and times so I mean, Seth, we're busy. We got we've got a we've got a good couple months coming up here. So um, you know, yeah, stay tuned. Do.
1: Yeah, and I, I know Eric at Security Compass is gonna to want to talk training stuff, right? Like kind of the just-in-time training that those guys provide. Um, I know with Sean, like we were kind of talking about that in the past um with Sean Porris and like the management of their program over there at Verizon Media. Uh so it, it should be interesting to hear that other side on how they're trying to provide that. Um, I know that's part of the reason Eric wanted to come on was to talk through it. So, you know, the developer training aspects and how you get developers trained when they need to be rather than waiting and, you know, trying to cycle, cycle them through once a year. Um, their, their approach is is novel in that perspective. Um, and then uh, Jessica Ryan, like I've met her multiple times, you know, her and uh, Gabe, they, you know, kind of do the circuit. They were in New York for a while, but Now they're at trusted sec. I think Gabe's at Mandiant or some, or yeah, I think he is at Mandiant now, Um, but they've, they, they've both been on the um, like the security training circuit for a while as well, like teaching at conferences. Um, But she just started at trust trusted sec doing web application security. I thought it'd be interesting to hear her perspective. Uh, So yeah, it'll be fun. And then I'm excited to, you know, yeah, your boss will be good. Greg will be good. Um, and get a different, uh, you know, somebody else's management perspective on how they run a, a program, and they build it from basically two people to a, you know, an enterprise class program. Yeah, that, that's yeah. going to be the interesting thing, right? Is how you how you focus in on what's important and prioritization because we see so many organizations that struggle with that.
0: Yeah, and Greg is um, he's he's it's interesting because he he always has like a. Uh, it's like you ever met someone where you're like oh you think like you have a pretty good like it's a pretty you think you have like the answer and it's pretty straightforward on on you know when you make a decision like what but then like someone comes in and they, they think of kind of something completely unique that happens a lot of great he's got a very unique uh thought process he's he's really creative at coming up with um like good solutions for things and and yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Uh and it's not just because he's my boss, which by the way, I say that because he hates it. I, I could tell it's he always hates it when I say that.
1: When when are performance reviews again? Like what what are we doing here?
0: <laughs> yeah, no. I only say it because I, I, I know it makes him like, like, you know. But anyway, so um I'll just keep using it. <laughs> keep saying that. Anyways, but yeah, I'm excited um to have all these folks on. So uh yeah, we've got a next we got some good couple months coming up. I'm excited and I couldn't have been, that was a nice way to wake up yesterday to find out that we're going to Tel Aviv to do the training. I'm very excited about that.
1: Yeah. Now we just have to figure out travel and all the other stuff that goes along with that. Right. Yeah. Um, good. Uh, let's see. I think that about does it for us today. Um, find us on Twitter, uh, you know, or come to Tel Aviv. That's kind of the next place we'll be, I guess, Ken will be at um Lokomoko Um, I won't be this time around. There's just other stuff going on. Uh, So I I won't be able to make that one, but uh, we'll still, we'll be having the podcast every week. So feel free to reach out, find us on Twitter, come join Absolute AppSec Slack channel. And yeah, it's great to talk as usual. And thanks for the hot take, Skin you know (laughs) same to you and the gibberish (laughs) and the gibberish yeah yeah gibberish and hot takes that's how i'll label this one so i'll yeah i'll I'll rip the episode and get it up within the next you know by tonight so everybody else can get it so i'll find it in the usual places thanks everyone i appreciate it